You're listening to the IPHC Leadership Cast. Welcome to this episode of the IPHC Leadership Cast. I'm Janice Bennett, and today we're here with um, Pastor Kent Bale, who pastors Bethel Life in Greenville, Pennsylvania, and he also serves as the Assistant Superintendent for the River of Life Conference in Pennsylvania. So welcome, Kent. Uh, thank you very much, Denise. It's great to have you here with us, and we're just going to talk a little bit today about a ministry and an outreach that your church has for victims of human trafficking, and that is through Project Restore. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about Project Restore? Oh, Denise, Denise, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yes, Project Restore is a ministry that was uh, birthed out of the heart of our church uh, a number of years ago. In fact, the seed was planted in our hearts in 2010 and took a few years to... uh, continue to bear much fruit, but in 2014, we launched a home, which was our first residential home, where we offered care and restoration for, at the time, adult women, 18 years of age or older, who had been uh, found themselves in the abuse of human trafficking and uh, mainly sexual exploitation. So Project Restore today has transitioned a little bit. Today, we're working with minors, but the same vision and heart and purpose is to reach out and offer residential care and love and support for individuals of trafficking and just love them back into health and in a place of being uh, fruitful in their lives. So how did you come across or discover this need in in your area and in your community? What led Bethel Life to begin this ministry? Well, it first started with uh, one of the women that had been attending our church at the time who has been involved in ministries in other parts of the country just asked for an opportunity to come in and sit down and, and talk with me. And she'd been involved in the ministry that was down in South Texas and, and out in Arizona. And uh, she came in and we sat down together and she just began to share her heart and pour out her heart to me about the issue of trafficking and not, and she wasn't talking about trafficking that was somewhere in other places of the world, but it was something that's taking place right here in our country and even in our own communities. And uh, that's what kind of planted the seed. And uh, the seed then began to grow, and I was able to hook up uh, with a book uh, that was written by uh, a gentleman by the name of Dylan Burroughs and Charles Powell, Not in My Town. And uh, so read the book and then invited those gentlemen to come and speak to our church congregation. And I can remember that night, it was in October of uh, 2010, that uh, those seeds were really planted in us. And we just kind of felt we needed to respond. Um, I read a quote one time that said, uh, to see brokenness demands a response, and we could see a broken area, area in our communities that needed the church to stand up. And so uh, the seed was planted and began to bear fruit in 2014 of a res- residential service to meet the needs of these young ladies. Because, right. I mean, I think back and I look back, I mean, I'd say 15 years ago, most people in the church and even in the United States weren't very aware of, of this issue or this problem within our nation and around the world. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I knew I, I know that I knew very little about it, and what I did know about it was something I had maybe seen in a Hollywood movie or maybe heard about that was taking place in, you know, uh, Cambodia or somewhere else in the world. But to think and imagine that some of these things were happening uh, right in our own communities was hard to imagine. I, I can remember going down and having a conversation when we were preparing to open our home, even with our chief of police in the local community. And when I began to talk to him about the aspect of uh, trafficking and particularly sexual trafficking in our own communities. He just he just kind of stared at me for a moment. And this is a gentleman who's been in law enforcement I've known for a long time. And the concept is mainly, you know, this is not really happening here. Please tell me. But the reality is 
It is, but I think we just didn't recognize it, and we didn't recognize the various ways that people are being abused and neglected and trafficked. And so understanding that and, and putting definition to it has certainly opened the eyes of myself and the church community as well. Right, and you're in Greenville, Pennsylvania, which is a, a nice-sized city, but it's not a huge mega city. And <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know if I'd call us a city, Janice. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're rural Pennsylvania. We're a community. Uh, I mean, we have... We have Amish buggies park in our parking lot here at Walmart. So, but we are close to larger communities and, and, and areas, but it's, it touches every size of demographic. It, you know, it's not the major cities. It's not the inner city. It's any place there's brokenness in the hearts and lives of people. And uh, we see that. Um, so, in fact, I know when we first began to talk about this with our own faith uh, community, our church here in Greenville, uh, shortly after we had opened our home, 32 miles from where we reside, there was a, a city there where a raid was conducted. They raided eight massage parlors in this one community of Warren, Ohio, and um, found much trafficking taking place just 32 miles from our hometown. And uh, so it's evident it's there. People are just having to recognize what it is. Right. Now, when a lot, you know, when we hear the words human trafficking, I mean, I know before I begin to learn more about this the topic my mind was oh that happens in big cities or that's kids that are bring, being smuggled in from other countries um but you're telling us here that it's happening in rural pennsylvania and and what is it child smuggling is it children coming in from other countries what are the demographics of some of the children well i think it, i think it's very broad i certainly think it's very broad but what we see more locally particularly in the area of uh, trafficking, is that, you know, most trafficked victims, now worldwide, is a lot of labor trafficking. We know that. We understand that. There's the child bride form of trafficking that's taking place in many cultures around the world. But what we see for us locally is that probably the percentages look to be somewhere around, and I know there's a lot of numbers that fly around when you start talking about trafficking, but probably 70% of all traffic victims, at least here in the U.S., are going to be women and children. And uh, particularly the women, the, the vulnerable, the runaway teen, those are the victims. But then we also see that there's a, a growing number of children who are finding themselves in some form of sexual exploitation and traffic situation, even by family members. And that for some of us is probably hard to understand. But I think at the core of this is just the brokenness of our culture and our society. And uh, we are seeing most of what we deal with today quite frankly, in the Project Restore ministry, at least here locally, domestically, are children that are coming to us through a sponsorship and a community organization called the Bear Foundation that we have partnered with, where we reach out and talk to children who are in child protective services who've been rescued from homes. And uh, we happen to focus specifically on the sexual abuse and the trafficked victim. Okay. So Project Restore then is working closely with, like you said, the Department of Human Services and other um, the courts yes. and different things in your area? We are. We, we transitioned from an adult facility uh, our first four full years of operation. Uh, the, the need for us in our area was growing, uh, and it was a, a, a much larger need for uh, minors. And we were not really at the time licensed as a facility to handle the minors, but we were approached by an organization uh, that is a fostering and adoptive uh, faith-based program that's been in the area about almost 60 years. And they contract with, uh, they're in about 10 states, um, but specifically with the state of Pennsylvania, they have the um, contract with all uh, 67 county 
children service agencies. And so what happens is we partner together faith to faith. And then when these referrals come in, um, when they identify a sexually exploited female, a young girl, and or um, one who's been trafficked, then we get the referral. We sit down with them. We look at the case and we hope to be able to offer the love and care and support that they need to be restored. Okay, so if someone then comes to Project Restore through this process, then how, how long do they stay at the resi- residential facility? What does that look like for them? Well, for us, um, at least right now where we're functioning, uh, the only restriction would be that they would age out of the system, and that's not our system, it's really the state system, but they would age out at 18 and need to transition somewhere else. So uh, the answer to that could be anywhere from two weeks to and, and we've not been in this long enough to say that, but it could literally could be two weeks to five years. It really depends upon the need of the individual. Um, what we hope to have happen is that these girls that come to us would go through a restorative process. If the court systems that they're engaged in ultimately determine that they're not able to go back into the home environment or a family member where they came from, they will then either process them through to be in long-term foster care or potential for adoption. So then in that case, if we can walk them through the process of healing and restoration, and our hope would be to bring them to the point to where they could be adopted and put into a family um, that would care for them. We recently had that experience. It was our first experience. The young lady that we'd taken in came to us and was with us for nine months. And when she came, we were told that she had been in Child Protective Services for a number of years, and she was, quote, unadoptable. And uh, we were able to walk her through a journey of uh, just freedom and uh, come to know Christ. And at that point in time, she transitioned to a place where she became adoptable. And two weeks ago, she was adopted by family. Oh, wow. That's uh, Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, that's the that goal must, right there. Yeah, that's, that's a must have been so rewarding and fulfilling just to see somebody walk through that process and receive the restoration and the healing. And then, you know, to be able to provide them a safe place to... Um, to transition into. That's, a, that's wonderful. Absolutely. One of the mission statements, when we first opened our home, um, that was the adult facility, and the mission hasn't changed. Just the age demographic has changed slightly for us. Um, but we, we really just saw ourselves as being that conduit, a place where we could just engage people and where lo- Christ-centered love and hope just collide to bring healing and restoration to these young ladies and now these girls. And uh, we've seen the fruition of that in this last year in a very dynamic way. And we're excited. We're actually getting ready to open our second home. It's a home we had closed. It's called Lindsay's Place to transition. Uh, Janice, we're going to be transitioning that to a home that um, is going to be caring for minors, but minors who have children. So basically, we're going to be begin offering a mother-child environment for the underage ch- uh, little girls so that they can receive the same care. Oh, that's fantastic. And that kind of takes you back to what your original thought and your original plan was. Absolutely. And God has just been good to us. The homes are provided. And and more importantly than the home itself, of course, is uh, the people who have the heart for this who will come alongside because this is not an easy road. And you have to walk through some very difficult seasons in their recovery process. And so, you know, trauma does a lot of things to the soul. And so walking them through that healing process is not an easy task. But the reward on the other end of that journey is amazing. Yes. yes. Now, what are some of the challenges that some of the major challenges that you find um, some of these young ladies face? 
Well, I think, first of all, when they first come in, uh, obviously the trauma that they've seen and experienced, I mean, fear is an overwhelming sense of part of their life. Um, one of the things also we understand about trauma, and, and I'm not an expert, but I will just tell you what our experience has been and, and what we've learned along the way is that for any of them at the point of trauma, they really stop maturing uh, on every level. And uh, so if, if, the, if the abuse started at age eight, as an example, and a young girl could be 16, 17, 18 years old now, but she may not really behave or act and be able to process as a typical um, 17, 18 year old. So just putting them in an environment where they know that they're going to be safe, that they're going to be cared for, that they're going to be fed, um, that they're going to be loved on unconditionally, but not be taken advantage of. Just overcoming that sense of hopelessness and, and fear is the per- first uh, major hurdle. And then once you get to that place and you build a level of trust, you can really begin to instill, you know, just life's experience and in, in, um, the things that they're going to need to survive in life and take them to a level of understanding and learning. And then in the process of that, we have the privilege and the wonderful privilege of introducing them to faith and to who Jesus is. And then that's when uh, it really becomes rewarding for the uh, the ministry. Yeah, that's fantastic. But I, I understand, I mean, and I hear you that fear and just building that initial level of trust is such a key part of that. Um, I think learning to manage their emotions, too, and the memories and those things that come back. And how do you cope with that? And what do we need to do when I'm feeling like this? And uh, some of them come with us, particularly when they come to us older. Uh, teens, and they have some habits and, and they have some tendencies of what I'm going to do and how I'm going to respond when I'm feeling this way. And most of them are not positive. And uh, so really redirecting them and learning how to manage those things. I mean, it's hard enough for adults, let alone children. So helping them understand how to cope and process through some of the, the feelings or emotions or thoughts that they may be having today and how to replace those toxic thoughts with more positive things in and even to have a hope for a future, um, knowing that you know their future could be much different. Uh, those are the things that we have the privilege to work with. Wow! And what you know, what a joy just to be able to be there to walk through that process, and like you said, see the reward at the end whenever they are able to find healing and restoration. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great privilege. And yeah. uh, I had a in preparing for this uh, time with you today on the phone. I was sitting here at my desk just a few minutes ago, and. And the door opened up, and in comes four little girls, and they were ages uh, 7 to 12. And uh, I got a hug from every one of them, and they came in the office just to give me a hug and see my fish tank. And uh, these are the girls from from our Herstory home, which is what we call our home right now. And uh, they were out and about for the day and stopped in to see Pastor Kent and just give me a hug and say hello. And you could just see, you can just see them coming alive wow. in an environment where they're being loved on. Wow. Just, you know, just to be in a place where you lo- you feel loved and accepted is, it, Absolutely. is, is makes such a difference. You know, I think sometimes in the church, we, we see things like this, and our first response, Janice, is, you know, that's awful, but then what what could I do? I think our greatest fear would be, I don't know what to do, and, and how would I engage this person, and uh, what do I have to offer them? And the reality is, it's it's not as difficult as you think. Um, we have, you know, had to educate our congregation to some degree and help them understand we treat them like you would any child. You love on them, you encourage them. Uh, in the church world, we're called to bear each other's burdens and just be an encouragement. And you know, when we do that and, and you're yourself, you'll be surprised how quickly just extending yourself to these kids, or an adult for that matter, 
can bring healing and restoration. Everyone needs to have a sense that they matter, that their life is significant, God has a purpose for their life, and, and that they have a place where they can belong. And so I just have encouraged the church community, and we're just going to love these girls, and regardless of their circumstance or any other person for that matter, whether the person's walking through divorce or grief of a loved one or maybe recovering from addiction, uh, the same principle is true. We're just simply called to love them and let God do the work in them. Yeah. Now, if there are some churches out there that are listening to this podcast today and some pastors that are saying, you know, I didn't realize this is such a great need. How could how can they get involved? What are some first steps for some ch- for churches that are interested in helping victims? Well, I, I would say that probably the first thing they need to do is educate themselves a little bit to some of the things that you and I have talked about today, that it is a real issue and it's prevalent in our own communities. They could talk to coalitions within the local area that they live. Maybe the county has a coalition or the region has a coalition that would share more information. Uh, and it just began to talk amongst uh, the congregation. Uh, there may be agencies. Not everyone can necessarily open a home and have the resources to open a home. But we can all engage and be a part of what others are doing. One of the things that we found is um, we have other churches in this Mercer County area who've reached out to us and are willing in some way. And sometimes they're simple, simple ways, but they want to help be a part of what we're doing. And they're not necessarily going to have their own home, but they can walk alongside of us. Um, but one of the things that I have found in, in uh, the agency that we're working through right now that we have partnered with as far as referrals are concerned, you know, they're faith based and this is what they do. And we find that they work in 10 different states across the U.S. They're actually in Oklahoma and have a presence in Texas, which is more in your neck of the woods than mine. But we have stepped up to offer our services to them. And so it's in that partnership where they have the experience and, if you will, the the structure to engage the children youth services. We have the capacity of the home and the love and support behind it. So they offer some training. And I would just say begin to reach out and, and become informed of what, about what's available in your area, whether it's on a county level or a region area. Talk to people and then just find out. Here's what I said. I remember sitting down at the table over dinner one night uh, when I was talking to uh, the gentleman and said, well, how does the church supposed to respond? What can we do? And um, the response was simply do something. And uh, so that's when we began to pray about it. And God really laid up our hearts um, to open this residential programming. So we'll soon have our second home up and operating. And then long term, in the next year, year and a half, we hope to uh, our first voice home to be open uh, in the future. So as the Lord provides, we'll head down that direction as well. Yeah, and that's a whole nother topic. When we think of human trafficking, I know our I know my mind initially would always go to, to females, but, um, you know, you've got a whole realm of, of men that are being yeah, trafficked as yeah. well. In the world that we're living today, we're finding that the, the young boys are also um, very much victims of trafficking and abuse. And uh, they're actually a, a much harder, difficult and more difficult demographic for our state agencies to place than the girls are. And uh, particularly if you start talking about um, multi, multi-race and things of that nature, we find it's very difficult for them to find placement for these young boys. So we have a, a heart and a vision to add a third home in the future uh, that will be for young boys as well. All right. And you also ha- are doing some work in Tanzania. We are. We've gone global, <laughs> if you could call it that. Um, you know, we believe, and I share all the time here, you know, uh, and I know Tal would love to hear me say this it's for World Missions, but. You know, uh, the Great Commission was something that wasn't a suggestion. Uh, it was something that was commanded. 
but we we've been working in Tanzania, Janice, for about five years now with uh, a ministry there, and we found that Bishop Barings, he's IPHC minister, who is the bishop of Tanzania and pastors a church, and the most at-risk demographic in Aringa, it's probably not a whole lot different than here, but in Aringa itself is the young female from probably age 10 or 12 up to uh, her mid-20s, and the problem is in their culture, many of them are abused and uh, either sexually abused and trafficked or raped, and they become pregnant. And in their culture and in their country, legally, they no longer are allowed to even attend school if they're underage and they become pregnant. There's no medical care for them. Some of them die in childbirth because they've had no medical attention whatsoever. So Bishop and I, we were there two years ago and began to talk about building a women's center. And, of course, that's going to take a lot of work. So I said to him, why don't we start now? Let's just start with where we're at. And uh, that's something that we've always done here at Bethel Life. And uh, so we, we uh, leased a 12-bedroom home. So we have a 12-room home in the city of Oringa, and we offer residential services uh, for women and children, both. So we have 15 living in the house right now. I think the highest number we've had has been 23. So we have 15 women and children living in the home right now, and they're going through some of the same processes there that our girls would go through here, receiving medical care, receiving uh, spiritual care, and they're being taught a skill that can help them, uh, help sustain themselves and their children as they graduate the program. Wow, well, that's fantastic. I know um, God is really using you and Bethel Life and just your heart for for those that are hurting, and I thank you. I thank you for all that you are doing, and um, and we just pray blessings upon you and upon Project Restore and the ministry that um, you have going forth. And we just we just pray that these these young ladies will um, receive the hope and the healing and the restoration that they need, so that they can reacclimate and begin a new life. And and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate Janice. Thank thank uh, I thank the church globally for the love and support. The IPHC, IPHC Church has been very. Uh, supportive of, of what we're doing and uh, thank all of those who've had a part in that for the encouragement and uh, listen uh, anybody has questions they're certainly free to call me and we'll just share what we're doing here in Greenville and uh, I know uh, I invite you to come see us thank you for listening to the IPHC Leadership Cast if you enjoyed this podcast today please take the time to leave us a review and share with your friends thanks again for joining us